Here we go, Monday night time once again for Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira is in studio, but we are not live. We always let you know that uh, in advance. Ira, decent reason though, you're getting ready to do some traveling. Yeah, going to Los Angeles for a couple days, and then we're going to go to see Penn State, Michigan, and Steelers Packers. So a lot of travel this week. You had some travel plans going into this weekend past, but nothing uh, happened to, to come up to come to be. No, no, just uh, decided to watch all the games on Saturday. Amazing days of, fo- of college football on Saturday, and it's certainly a great Sunday of NFL football. Tom Grieve is going to join us in about five minutes. Tell us who Tom is. This is a, a very timely guest. Yeah, he's Mr. Ranger. He was one of the. He was on the first team in 1972 when the Rangers were there. He was a general manager of the Rangers then for 10 years and then been a broadcaster for over 20. So he is called Mr. Texas Ranger and considering they just won the World Series, a great person to have on. Yeah, and uh, we'll talk to him in about five minutes here on Ira on Sports. Social media, we're all over it at Ira on Sports. We'll start right off with baseball, Ira. World Series is in the books. Congratulations to the Texas Rangers. And this is a series that I think 20 years from now, you can look at it and say, well, it was four to one. The Rangers crushed them. It really wasn't the case. There was some some really good battles. This ended up being a good World Series to me, especially since it only went five games. Right. I mean, it was one of those things where when it was 1-1 going back to Arizona and you're thinking Arizona would take a couple games, this could go seven. But I think the key was, I guess, in, in really in, in games three and four in terms of how the Texas was able to continue their dominance on the road, which is just amazing. Yeah. I mean, didn't lose a road game all, all postseason, which is just ridiculous. Let's talk about these games, though. And this was going to be a case. Arizona, really, nobody gave them a shot to be there. And they just kept beating really good teams. Texas was a team that for a lot of the season was the best team in baseball, trailed off a little bit towards the end, got hot at the right time. Right. I mean, game three, three, one, this is when Scherzer got he got injured and had to pull himself out after three innings. He had pitched well. People were questioning him with all his injuries, but then he hurt when he got hit with the baseball in the back. It caused some stiffness, but the key of that game was in the third inning when Simeon hits, uh, uh, drives in it low, and then Seager has a, th- a home run. That gave them that lead that they were able to cruise on for the rest of the game, and that's where the Ranger bullpen came in and really shut down the Arizona Diamondbacks bats. Going into game four now, and this game is going to kind of live in infamy for being a, quote, bullpen game. I don't like bullpen games, but we saw the Dodgers do this. We saw the Braves do this. It's a necessity sometimes in the playoffs. What I was bothered me was Tory Lovello pulling Mantiply, who started the game. He pitched pretty good. It, it, you could be a bullpen game, but if someone's pitching good, let him pitch three innings. Why are you just pitching one inning, making constant uh, rotations? And it ended up costing them as uh, the Rangers had two of the biggest back-to-back innings of the entire postseason. Yeah, this game was over. Everybody's sitting down saying we were going to come a little late. By the third inning, it's 10 nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was – and the key was Janikowski came in the game for Adoles Garcia, the star for the Rangers the whole playoffs. He's hurt. Scherzer's hurt. You know, so you're like, wow, the Rangers are now going to be at a disadvantage. But Janikowski, who's really just a journeyman, comes in, gets some big hits, and he only had two at-bats the entire last month. But Simeon drove in two runs with a triple, and then Seager had a two-run home run in the second inning. And then Janikowski comes back in the third and has a double, drives in two runs, and Simeon has a three-run home run. Suddenly, it's 10-0, game over. And that was, I mean, then you're jumping, then you're going up that 3-1. Yeah, game five, backs against the wall, and the Diamondbacks have their best pitcher on the mound. It's going to be Zach Gallen versus who turned into the Rangers' best pitcher, Nate Evaldi? What a game. I mean, Gallon throws six innings, no hit ball. It was one of those exciting games because Evaldi, they're running in scoring position every single inning. He had 85 pitches with 43. 43 was 85 with, with runners in scoring position. It's 0 0 going in the seventh inning. Um, Gallon is the first pit, he's the first pitcher once to take a no hitter to the seventh inning um, uh, since Larson. So that was pretty amazing. Because remember in the Astros, when they did, they pulled Javier from the game. Yeah, combined no hitter. Combined no hitter. And then Seeger gets a hit. Then Carter has a double made at second, third, and then Garver droves in. Seager makes it one nothing, and then uh, it's still just one nothing. But then Chapman comes in. Everyone knows from the Yankees his, his issues. He comes in. You know he held Arizona scoreless, and then in the bottom of the eighth, Arizona gets out of that bases loaded jam. But then in the top of the ninth, Texas scores four runs to go up five nothing, and sort of that was when it was over. But boy, to go into Arizona for the Rangers to go in and win those three games, and the way they did it with their pitching and and just uh, and Evaldi's, uh, the key was that Evaldi stayed in the game. How much we talk about. I remember Fernando Valenzuela was a pitcher for the Dodgers, and they go, the skill was said was he had, when he did have his best stuff, he was able to just compete and compete and compete. And Evaldi to keep the Rangers in and say, okay, I'm not going to get hit for three or four runs, but to, to match Gallon, uh, you know, with scoreless innings, that's what won the, the game. Yeah, every inning it was guys on second and third, and they managed to squeak out of it. Congrats to Corey Seager um, 
fourth person ever to win two World Series MVPs, second person ever to do it with two different teams. Really uh, impressive stuff. And and like we're going to talk to Tom Grieve in a minute. The sky's the limit for this team going forward. Right. And Corey Seager, I, I always thought with the Dodgers, that was the pandemic World Series. I thought it should have gone to Kershaw, not Seager. But the fact is, it went to Seager. That's all they remember. And now Seager's, you know, only Reggie and Seager have done this. He's 37 years old. I mean, early 30. This is, Seager is looking like a Hall of Famer the way this plays. And you're talking about three agent signings and how well he played this year and last year. Uh, this might be one of those 10 year, 300 some million dollar signing that actually works out really well for a team. Let's go to Tom Grieve. It's Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports. We're so excited to have Tom Grieve uh, from the Washington, from the, I'm sorry, you were drafted by the Washingtoners, but from the Mr. Texas Ranger, uh, who was the first player, uh, actually in the inaugural season for the Texas Rangers, general manager for the Rangers for 10 years and a color commentator for another 20 years for the Texas Rangers. Tom, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So what's it like down in Dallas, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, the excitement with the Rangers winning the uh, the World Series last week? Well, it's hard to describe in a short period of time how happy and thrilled everyone around our team is right now, from the ownership to the general manager. Certainly you could tell by the way the players celebrated how happy they were. And then for the people that came before these players, players from the past, fans who have followed the team from 1972 to the current time that wondered if we'd ever win. I wondered sometimes whether or not we'd ever win. And so when you see that unabashed joy on the face of anyone associated with the team, it's a really nice feeling. The parade that the team had on Friday was spectacular. We didn't really know what to expect, but there was oh anywhere from five to seven hundred thousand people there in kind of a short parade route really around the entertainment district there that surrounds the ballpark. And that was so much fun. I had my wife, my daughter, one of my grandsons with me, and all three of them said that was maybe their favorite Ranger moment. And they've got Ranger moments that go back a long way. So it's been great. So much fun. So happy for everybody. And I guess when you boil it right down, the people you're maybe happiest for are the fans who have come out here day in and day out for all those years, lean years, many of them, where there wasn't much to cheer about. And now, really, no matter what has happened in the past, what happens in the future, one thing is for sure, the Texas Rangers are a World Series champion, and that's just great. And it's funny because next to people don't realize where Texas plays. They play right next to, to you know, Dallas, the AT&T Stadium, where the Cowboys play and where the, the Cowboy fans are brash and loud and everything. The Rangers are very understated, even though they play like literally across the street from each other in a beautiful new stadium, Globe Life Field. Well, the Cowboys have a spectacular stadium and they've been known as America's team. But it's a long time. It's been a long time since they've won anything. <laughs> and, you know, we may be down the road, but the entertainment district that surrounds Park is, is really taken off. There's, there's a first five star hotel in Arlington, was built right next to the stadium. And now across the street, there's another Lone's Hotel that I don't know how many rooms it has, but it has a giant convention center. So this area, when you look at it, and you see everything that's involved, the first thing that you say is, how in the world did Arlington, Texas, get all of this? <laughs> this rivals any sports and entertainment district in the country, in any city. And I, I remember thinking that when we came here in 1972, when there was nothing around here except a small ballpark. And But they had six flags. They had a wet and wild. They had um, another animal wild safari amusement park they had all these things going on and you said to yourself when you drove to the ballpark this town has maybe 50,000 people in it back in 1972 it took some vision from a man like Tom Vandergrift who was the mayor back then people that have followed him and it's just been remarkable and I think all you have to do is think about it this way the Dallas Cowboys moved from just outside Dallas to Arlington, Texas. They're still called the Dallas Cowboys, but that stadium is in Arlington, Texas, and pretty much says it all right there. 
So two years ago, when the Rangers signed Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon, two big free agent signings, people were like, what? Corey Seager is going to Texas. It's going to be lost. No one's going to hear from him. He was just the MVP of the Dodgers, and he left there. And now look at him. I mean, those, in, in retrospect, what great signings Seager and Simeon were for the Rangers. A lot of thought went into those signings. A lot of teams have spent a lot of money in the past and won nothing because they look at the leaderboards and they sign the best players they can find without doing their due diligence. And they end up with a team that has a lot of individual stars, but when it all tries to come together, it just doesn't fit and it doesn't work. I think our ownership group, Chris Young, our general manager, when they looked at the players they wanted, they had a vision. When they looked at the players they wanted to bring in, things like competitiveness, makeup, how you interact with your teammates, how you interact with your community. All those things that go into an all-around ball player were looked at. And the two players that came out on top when they tried, and there was a lot of possibilities for guys they could trade for or sign, were Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. And when they signed them for all that money, maybe the first reaction was, well, what difference does that make? Those two guys are great players, but we still need pitching. And we still don't really have a team that can compete. We remember when Alex Rodriguez came in here, and for three years in a row, he was the best player in baseball. So we came in last place every year. And I think thoughts of that came back. But that was just the first phase of the plan. Then came, you know, a a group of free agent pitchers, a, a really nice job around the trade deadline that brought in a player like Jordan Montgomery. And when it was all, and then, the farm system bringing in young players, players like Josh Young, who if he didn't get hurt would have been the rookie of the year. Evan Carter, 20 years old from the minor leagues that got called up late in the season. Leody Tavares, a terrific young center fielder. We have really good young players to blend with the veteran players. Mentioned Seager and Semyon, but that doesn't even count. Garcia, Nathaniel Lowe, Jonah Heim just won a gold glove and almost knocked in 100 runs. So when people say that don't know much about the Rangers, how in the world did the Rangers do this? Just get the get your get your newspaper out and look at the roster and watch what they've done, and you'll say, "Whoa, that was no fluke. This team was the best team, and this team deserved to win." And the way it played out in postseason, there was no doubt about it. The one thing in baseball they say today is about the manager. The manager just you know f- follows the the orders from the general manager. It's not really a big deal being the manager of baseball when they get hired and fired. But the Rangers went a little different. They brought in 68 year old Bruce Bochy, who's been out of baseball for three years, but had won everywhere he's been, won three World Series championships. And they bring Bochy in, and he has just seemed to be this year the perfect uh, person for the job in terms of melding the old and young players together to have a championship team. Well, that's a great point, and you can't talk about this team. I just did without talking about Bruce Bochy because maybe the best move that Chris Young made was when he talked Bruce Bochy out of retirement. Chris had played for Bruce, I believe it was in San Diego, so he knew him, and Bochy has talked about you know, starting to get a little restless and think about coming back, but he never would do it unless it was the right situation. And Chris sat down and and told him about our farm system, told him about his plan. Bruce got very excited and said, I'm in. And I really believe, and again, I'm glad you brought it up, I really believe that the most important player, person that we signed all all offseason long coming into the season was Bruce Bochy. He's been just, he's done exactly what you would have expected, what his skins on the wall says he's done in the past. He's steady, he's calm, he's incredibly knowledgeable, he's a baseball person, but he also embraces the current trend of analytics. He has excellent relationships with the players. He's just so, so steady. They know exactly what to expect. I can't say enough about the job that Bruce Bochy did. We were going to have a really good team. We would have been a contender. Maybe we would have won, I don't know. But I've got a feeling it all doesn't come into place the way it did without him. 
So a lot of my friends in New York, they don't like Max Scherzer. They don't, they, they end, it's ended, the Mets didn't uh, work out as well as they had hoped. But the trade when they bring Scherzer in, and I'm saying Scherzer came in and was the superstar the whole time, but I think it did send a message to the team that we're going for it. We're going to win. That we're going to take on and bring in Scherzer in. And even though it didn't work out in terms of his production, I just think the message it sent from the team was really important. Yeah, you're right. Guys like Scherzer, and there aren't many of them, elevate the rest of the players around him, even when he's not on the mound. They see his preparation. They saw the way he came back from his injury. It looked like he was out for the year, and he wouldn't accept that. And the work that he put in, the intensity that he has, the kind of teammate that he is, all these things, even though there were times where he wasn't pitching because of an injury, even in the postseason he wasn't at his best, but his competitiveness He's been there. He's been on championship teams. The way he interacted with his teammates made him a huge part of the team. And the point you just made is so important. When you have a chance to win at the trade deadline, if you really want to pump a good team up, bring in players like that. And every player comes to the ballpark going, wow, our team is in. They believe in us. It's our time. And I think that played a big part in it as well. And it was, it was a wild ride this year, just for the regular season perspective, in terms of in August, you won eight games in a row and lost eight games in a row, first time this ever happened. And at the end of the year, when you have a chance to win, hold on and win the division, you lose three out of the four Seattle, Houston wins the d- division, and you go seven games with Houston. All these things, <laughs> that, you know, it was pretty a, a crazy wild. But I guess Bochy did a great job in terms of keeping the team on an even keel throughout the ups and downs. He never, he never faltered. Chris Young, the general manager, was, was the exact same way. Anytime that it looked bad and people wanted to get a good quote, they never wavered. All Chris Young would say is, I believe in this team. We're going to get healthy. We're going to put it together. We haven't played our best baseball yet. I remember reading that thinking, whoa. We had, we had the month you talked about. We lost eight games in a row twice in <laughs> one month. We had a stretch where we went 4-16, and 16, and the general manager is saying it's tough times, but this team, will, this team will play better coming down the stretch than they have all year. And that's saying a lot because in April, May, and June, we were tremendous. We had five All-Stars going into the All-Star break. So to say that showed the confidence that he had. And then again, to talk about Bochy, every time the players walked into the clubhouse, They knew what to expect. They knew what the lineup was going to be. They knew what the bullpen setup was going to be. He never panicked. They also, I'm sure, believed, based on what he'd done in San Francisco, that when we went into a game, all things being equal in that game, we were going to win because we had the best manager. And that plays a huge role in it, too. And we talk about postseason baseball, and as much as we talk about home field advantage and playoffs and ever in, in baseball, maybe not so much important as other sports, but it does is the last at bat. So it is harder to win, you know, when you're on the road. The the to go to Tampa, win to Baltimore, win to Houston, win all the games there, and then against Arizona, win three. Pretty amazing team in terms of this run on the road that that the Rangers were able to do in the playoffs. I can't explain that. I, I really can't. I don't know that you can look at the team and say. This team was made to win on the road because no one in the history of baseball ever put their team together with the thought, we've got to have a team that can play on the road. I, I don't even know what that would mean. So I don't know, I don't know how they did that. I know that, I know that when we got healthy at the end, that, that was a devastating loss in Seattle to make the wild card instead of win the division. So the team had to go from Seattle, fly all the way across country, to play the Rays, who had the second-best record in baseball, and we swept them in two games. Then they stay on the road and go to Baltimore and play the team that had the best record. And all you can say after those five games, when we swept those two teams, um, everybody talks about the American League East, and it's been a powerhouse. But not this year. The two best teams in the American League were the Rangers and the Astros. And the way the Rangers dispatched the Rays and the Orioles said all you needed needed to know. The Orioles have a really good young team. They've come a long way. They're built to be a team that survives in the future. And their young players were all that was talked about. Well, they don't have Seager, Semyon, Garcia. Um, they don't have 
Nathaniel Lowe at first base. We have veteran players. After those terrific veteran players, our young players are just as good as theirs. Their best player is Adley Rushman, and he's a tremendous young catcher. But our catcher, Jonah Heim, won the gold glove and almost knocked in 100 runs. Nobody even knows about him. So, you know, when you, when you look at the two teams, kudos to the Orioles for winning 100 games. But in that series, and looking at those two teams, there was no comparison between the two teams. That was, that was not a fluke that a 90-team win, winning a team that won 90 games, the Rangers, beat a team that won 100 games, the Orioles. We were the better team. And no one can look at that series or look at those two teams and dispute that. And we just want to mention Nathan Avaldi, his fact that he was six starts in the playoffs. They won all six games. He was 5-0 and with a 2.95 ERA. And just in game five, when really he was going against a no-hitter for six innings and just hanging <laughs> in there with you know bases loaded a couple times and met runners on score, but keep the team, being the team in and letting them win the game at the end of the game was, I mean, his performance was absolutely tremendous. It was. And I was watching that game on TV with my wife, and he gets out of the first inning. Great. He does that. He gets out of a jam. Then it's the second inning. Finally, in the third inning, I said to my wife, I don't know how much longer he can keep doing this. You just can't keep putting that many men on base and giving up no runs. But he did it for six innings. And um, the funny part about that game is we didn't do anything. Um, Gallon was throwing a no-hitter against us for, I guess, five or six innings. And then at the end of the game, when it was really close, we left the bases loaded and two men out, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, now it's going to turn around. We're going to be the ones that leaves the guy at, guys on base. But we snuck in a run, and Marcus Semien hit the two-run homer to ice it, and we beat a good team um, from Arizona. But, again, when you look at those two teams, there's no doubt who the best team was. One of the reasons they signed Nathan Avaldi was – they went back to what he meant to the Red Sox the year they won and how he pitched in the postseason. His makeup, his ability to interact with his teammates, his competitiveness, all those things entered into it. And he had a stretch where he was hurt this year. And when he came back, he wasn't quite what he was at the beginning of the year, but they stuck with him. They kept putting him out there. And his velocity was, you know, 96, 95 at the beginning of the year. It went down to 92, 93. But when he came back from his injury and when it really counted and when he dominated in the postseason, his velocity was 96 or 97, and he was the guy you wanted out there. So, you know, between him and Jordan Montgomery, I'm not sure the exact numbers, but if if we won, whatever, 11 or 12 games in the postseason, eight or nine of the wins were the first two guys in our rotation. So. It was uh, pretty amazing. Well, Tom, you're known as Mr. Texas Rangers. I'm glad you finally, Texas, got their World Series. And thanks a lot for coming on on such short notice to talk about the World Series win. I really appreciate it. Well, Ira, thank you very much for giving me a chance to talk about the Rangers. Uh, your, your listeners in South Florida probably don't know a lot about us, but maybe that'll give them a little bit more of an indication what kind of a great team we have. Yeah, well, we're going to learn more because you, you have a great team. It's going to be a great team for a number of years. So if people don't know about the Rangers, they're going to be in the, the standings for the next four or five years, I'm sure. Thank I you so much, right. Tom. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. This is Iron Sports, Drew Oldie's channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Shift gears to the NFL, and we're going to head to Germany, Ira. Not many people were thrilled about having what could be the best matchup of the week. Played at 9.30 a.m. If you're a West Coast or 6.30 a.m., Miami taking on KC. And this is one of those games, Ira, that really you, you can see the landscape of the AFC shift here. If the Dolphins win, they're in the driver's seat for a bye. Kansas City's kind of been not playing up to their expectations, but they looked really good in this game, defense especially. Wow. I mean, the narrative of this game was, can the Dolphins beat a good team? And they did it again. <laughs> and they're facted on the road at home. They are unstoppable. 44 points a game. And on the road, they're like 20, early, you know, low 20s in terms of points per game. Um, the first four possessions of the game, eight yards, 38 yards, 11 yards, zero, zero yards for Miami. It's one thing to start out slow against the Carolina Panthers. It's another thing to start out slow against the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, that doesn't work out well. Patrick Mahomes, too, though, fast start. 
look good. You know, they, they were up 14 nothing early, and they kind of didn't do much. They, they let the Dolphins hang around in this one, and it, it ended up being a little bit closer than it should have been in the second half. Well, at 14 nothing, when Casey, that crazy play where Hill, t- where they were forced, Ivory Hill fumbles the ball. Um, he's hit by Trent McCuffey, picked up by Mike Edwards, who ladders it to Brian Cook. And that's one thing. I mean, the Chiefs defense, it seems like they have Mahone's attitude, which is, and Kelsey's attitude, which is like, we got to make plays. we got to be aggressive. I loved how they did the lateral on that. They kick up 21 nothing, And uh, at that point, well, you know, Miami only had less than 100 yards for the first half. And you're thinking, wait a second. Now, Miami's in the state. They're down 21 nothing. They could score three, four touchdowns, but you don't expect Mahone's not to score any points the entire second half. And that's sort of what happened. It was absolutely amazing, especially when Mahone's had that terrible fumble. Chubb made a huge play when he stripped it for that. Um, and that was key. And uh, it was it was at that situation, you know, with where it was like 21-14. And w- the point was Miami then had two chances. One time they get two, it gets sacked on the 50, they had to punt. Then they get down to the 31, and then he fumbles the snap, and they weren't able to get, you know, and you're, you're thinking, boy, if you're 21-14, you have two chances. How could the Dolphins be stopped? But they were stopped. And uh, Dolphins, like on third down, were 3-12. and 12. Kansas City was only 3-10 for 10 on third down. I mean, it's so funny. We look about like the Washington USC game we're going to talk about later, you know, where we expect the teams to have like these power, high-powered offense, and they did, 1,000 yards. Yeah. The fact that both these teams struggled offensively but actually played so well in the defense, Fangio's defense did exactly. You say, we're going to hold them to zero points and really 14. They only really held them to 14 yeah. total points. you got to think you're going to win that game. And uh, But Tua, uh, less than 200 yards. He had a touchdown, three sacks. Mahomes had under 200 yards and two touchdowns. And the Dolphins' inability, I think, most start. He had 85 yards, but our chain, losing him, that, that running game was just going so strong. He's out. He might be back in two weeks, but I think that hurt them too. But I was just shocked. As much as we talk about their defenses on both teams and how both Kansas City improved and Miami's improved, they really came to play and they played great. And Miami, it's a tough loss for them. It, it is a tough loss. And yet you're right. I mean, Jeff Wilson Jr. and Salvin Ahmed not really picking up the slack of what David, uh, Devin A. Chain left when he uh, went on to IR. They asked Patrick Mahomes after the game, is this the best defense you've ever had? And he said, well, I think they're the best defense in the league. So, yes, this is the best defense I've ever had. Anything else on this game before we move on? No, you know, Miami now goes into a bye. They play Vegas, who now is regenerating. Energized since they lost. The Giants will do that, <laughs> and then they, then they play at Jets and at Washington, and then which could be a problem. Like now, you're thinking for the Dolphins, like when they go on the road, like I'm nervous. Like they they clearly there's something going on when they go on the road. This doesn't work, and then they play Tennessee home, Jets at home, and then Dallas huge game. But look, they still are in position for the playoffs. They still, with the Bills losing, look like they can still win the division. But it still has these doubts in your mind: is can they beat a good team? Because in the playoffs, they're not playing the Carolina Panthers. They're going to play the Chiefs. They're going to have to play the Ravens. They're going to play the Bills. If they can't win these big games, then it's not going to work. Let's jump right to uh, Sunday Night Football. I'm sorry, this is a 4:30 game, but one of the games that everyone was looking forward to this week, Dallas and Philly. And just in a bizarre ending here, Ira, it seemed like Philly was doing everything they possibly could to lose the game, but Dallas said, no, no, we don't want to win either. It was bizarre the way this one ended. Yeah, I mean, it was, I'll say this, any questioning about Dak Prescott, he clearly can play. Like, like if Dallas, if you watched all the games on Sunday and looked at all the different quarterbacks playing, Dak Prescott is phenomenal. Like, he's great. Like, he, he's not, he's not, is he Mahomes? No. But he is certainly elite in terms of enough to play the game. And it was, what a battle, what a game. CeeDee Lamb, 11 catches, 191 yards. Jake Ferguson, the tight end, they got involved with 791, but Dak was 29 for 44, almost 400 yards, three touchdowns, played great, and they're leading 17-14 at halftime, and then Philly goes on with, you know, with uh, with with a uh, Hurts Philly through to Smith, Devontae Smith, touchdown, Dallas then punted, then they scored another touchdown with an 87-yard drive, make it 28-17, and that's when the game got crazy. Dallas gets, goes fourth and goal on the one, Shoemaker, they ruled it a touchdown, but it wasn't when they showed it because his knee went down just an inch away, then Philly still was hemmed in. Dallas comes in. They throw for the touchdown. And then Prescott was just short on the two-point conversion uh, with, you know, it just when he scrambled for it. Certainly, if they make the two-point, then they're only three points down. That was a big difference from that. Philly punted. And uh, Dallas, you know, stopped on fourth down. But they get the ball back again. I mean, it's sort of like at the end of the game, Philly was just hanging on. Yeah. And then 45 seconds to go. They were 80 yards back. And this is when, you know, the penalties help. They get a for roughing the passer. They get a pass interference penalty. And the 
the Eagles were missing Bradbury and Slay, two of their defensive backs that were in and out with injuries. But then they came in, and then Dak got uh, sacked by Sweat, Keith. And I told you, I go, well, he's celebrating. He's like, you should get back <laughs> in the game, you know, at that point. But then they were able to then throw it down and hold uh, Lamb to the one-yard line and end it. But what an ending. I mean, that was a great game. I mean, it clearly tremendous performance on both sides. I would have liked that the Eagles would have maybe gotten more of a drive out. I did. They threw this one pass. There was a pass play on third down where I felt like it was like third and three, where I'm like, boy, at this point, let's use your offense. Do the tush push. Go push through and get that. I thought that was a weird play call. I thought Nick Cerrone, I just some of the questioning of the, the play calls at the end of the game. But really, it was Tremendous. I mean, Dallas could be, people say, well, you know, but this really helps Philly because now they have a two a game lead over the Cowboys in the division and now the tiebreaker. So that was huge. A lot of uh, Cowboys fans on social media are saying, you know, the, the refs gave Philly this game. It's like, the cameras did. It showed that he didn't score a touchdown, showed he didn't get the two point conversion. And if anything, they gave you all the penalties on, on the final drive there. The roughing the passer was, it could, they, they didn't really need to call that roughing the passer. It, there was, it, it, like, to say that the, the, the referees gave this game to Dallas is just ridiculous. But regardless, I said it, what, three weeks ago on the show that I think that Dallas could beat Philly heads up. I was wrong, but it, it was a good game regardless. They can definitely gonna, beat them. There's the three elite teams, and I'm not going to put the Lions, are the 49ers, the Cowboys, and the Eagles. They are clearly still in mind, the three elite teams. Either Each one of them can beat each other. So I think they're, they're the heads and toes. But that was a great game. And to think that the Cowboys... Two months, two months or two and a half months from now can't come into Philly and win the game. It's crazy. Of course they can come in and do it. Buffalo and Cincy. This was your night game. And this was emotional because it's DeMar Hamlin's return to Cincinnati. DeMar Hamlin was emotional return. He didn't play in the game. Remember, the game was stopped at halftime last year uh, with uh, with Hamlin's injury. Then they played in the playoffs, and Cincinnati beat Buffalo in the playoffs. So the question is, you know, everyone's waiting for Josh Allen. And this was great. Cincinnati was only fair by a point and a half of the game. But Joe Burrow's back, 31 for 44, 350 yards, two touchdowns, scrambling around. And it, it felt like the Miami game a little bit because the, the Bengals were able to come up. They were able to take that lead and uh, 21-7 at the half. And they just sort of cruised the rest of the game. Like you're, And it, again, it's harder to come back on these teams with these great quarterbacks. And Burrow made you know the plays when he had to, that field goal at the end of the game, which is key to, to and whatever. And then when Buffalo came down and scored a touchdown and got the two-point conversion, it still, they felt like they were playing catch-up the entire game, whereas the Bengals had total control of the game. And that's kind of was my takeaway from it. Watching this game, you know that Josh Allen's very good, but there wasn't really a point in this game where I was thinking Buffalo's going to win. It, the entire time, it just looked like Cincinnati had the answer for whatever Buffalo was going to do. Right. They sort of just ran it out. And then Buffalo, again, the problems, every time you think could, they're going to get the running game going, they don't. They only had, besides Allen, 24 yards rushing. It's just this questioning about, you know, the Bills. Now, look, it's a tough game. You're playing at Cincinnati. It's hard. But the fact is, I, I like the Bills. I like Josh Allen, and they certainly are. But but Cincinnati, the question is for a team that at the beginning of the year, they're like, oh, my God, Joe Burrow should just not play the whole year. They whatever. He's he looks fantastic. He's healthy. He's back. And he's fat, and, he's, <laughs> and he throws on the run well. And Chase and Higgins, how he gets involved, and his arm strength is amazing. His intelligence, his decision making. He's of course one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. Going back to Thursday night, your Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Tennessee Titans. It was an ugly one. We knew it was going to be. Every game the Titans are involved in is pretty ugly. I think you're beginning to sour or souring even more though on Kenny Pickett. Well, I just want to say this is like the AFC Central time. Since he's five, since he's five and three. Pittsburgh's five and three with a win. Cleveland's five and three, and Baltimore seven two. I mean, the AFC North is like the division. I mean, this is the total thing. What a crazy game! The Steelers now have gone eight games and been outgained every single time for eight games. It's the first time ever to have a winning record after being outscored every out yarded every single game. Again, they scored a touchdown the first play of the game, first drive, and then really did nothing the rest of the game. Will Levis comes in. The story is Will Levis. Will Levis comes in for Tennessee, and he looked fantastic. He's making every play. He's throwing the ball. I mean, the Steelers were putting pressure and pressure and pressure. I thought he was amazing at how he played. And I thought Pickett was missing passes. I mean, it's, he doesn't throw many interceptions because when he misses, he misses so poorly that no one could get the ball. Like, there's plays. And then George Pickens after the game was mad. I, I don't, they threw to Pickens, but it was just so high. Like, I don't know what he's mad about, but he certainly, you know, did follow the Steelers on social media and all these other weird quotes from him. Typical baby uh, stuff. Baby yeah. stuff about terms of how it was gone. But, you know, again, Pickens, Pickett loves to throw to DeAndre Johnson. So he's like feeding the ball. DeAndre has got his first touchdown in like almost two years in this game. But uh, the Steelers came back, won the game. But it's like, this is sort of what it's 
it's like is like the Steelers hang in there, hanging in there, and then they come back and they win the game at the end. And you're like, how are we ever going to beat a good team? But we did. We beat Cleveland. We bought, you know, the Steelers at five and three have just figured out ways to win these games. They play the game. Let's roll it out and look terrible and find a way at the end to win. But I think the takeaway, my takeaway is Will Levis is the quarterback. They are, they are not bringing Ryan Tannehill back. Will Levis is the quarterback now for Tennessee. Yeah, he, he didn't look great, but this is a very good Steelers defense. Good good players up front. Yeah, you can see that the writing on the wall for Will Levis, he's going to be successful. Pickett his arm have, strength is unbelievable. He, he throw, he's throwing off his back foot 80 yards you know, on a, on a seam. There was one throw to Deontay Johnson where Deontay jumped and then just put his hands down. Like, he was like eight feet over his head. He was like, I'm not even going to reach. That's why he doesn't get intercepted. The ball is so far. Like, I'm gonna, He's going to get intentional grounding on passes where he's actually trying to throw to people. Going Arizona and Cleveland. Cleveland, um, you know, you don't really know what to make of this team. They play really good defense. They've been playing without Deshaun Watt, though. Watt's back. They're playing against Clayton Toon, who nobody knew who he was 72 hours ago, and shut him out. Yeah, I mean, 37 to nothing. Um, they only gained, they only, 58 yards Arizona gained, which is one yard a play. They averaged one yard a play in the game. The Browns now have three wins this year where they've only allowed three points twice and zero points once. Absolutely, their defense is tremendous. And Watson played fair. I, I was watching the game, but just enough to win. But that's really all they need him to play with, a defense like they have. But a huge shutout win for the, for the Browns. Baltimore and Seattle. And man, you're looking at Baltimore now. They played Arizona last week. And I don't know if Arizona plays good at certain weeks or if teams play down to them or what it is. But three weeks ago versus Detroit and then yesterday versus Seattle, outscored two playoff teams 75-9. to nine. That's just, This is a real team in Baltimore, and I think going into the season, nobody was kind of putting them in that upper echelon of the AFC, whereas they might be the best team in the AFC. Two teams have now come into Baltimore from the NFC. They're confident. They're playing great. This is they it. Score points. They, and yeah. they, they, they get, Seattle had six first downs. They were one for 12 on third down. They only had 150 yards for the game. Baltimore had 515 yards, and it's just amazing what Baltimore is able to do. Uh, 298 yards to 28 yards rushing. I had Kenneth Walker the third on my team, so I saw that he, he couldn't run well, but but this is just since the Pittsburgh loss, Baltimore is on fire. 24 to 16 over Tennessee, 30 to 6 Detroit. They beat Zona. Now Seattle, 37 to 3. And if as a Steeler fan, you have look at your division. You have Arizona, you have Cleveland and Baltimore that had a combined 64 to 3 between them. And Cincinnati <laughs> beats Buffalo. And then the Steelers are in this division, which is loaded. But Baltimore looks fantastic. I mean, they if, right now, if you're gonna look, if this was like college football style points, I would say Baltimore was the best team in the AFC, the way they're playing. Absolutely, absolutely agree. Ira on Sports, True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Don't forget, across social media, at Ira on Sports. So do we get to take our victory lap yet about uh, us really uh, campaigning for C.J. Stroud to be the, the number one quarterback in the draft last year? What a performance. And this kid, on top of the numbers, he's just got that grit. Like, you can tell he's a winner. And this isn't something we've said about Ohio State quarterbacks in the past, but the future's bright for him in Houston. What a game. I mean, certainly Houston's defense forgot to show up in this game. But the fact is that they're playing Tampa, and I thought they had Baker lead the team down to Kate Otten for a touchdown with 45 seconds to go. I'm saying, man, 45 seconds, they probably have two timeouts. Maybe should have left some more time to come off the bat. But then Stroud leaves a, a great drive back where he threw two passes the tag down for a touchdown. And remember, Houston played the entire second half with their running back as a kicker. Their kicker got hurt and they weren't <laughs> even trying. But Stroud ended up 30 for 42, almost 500 yards passing with five touchdowns. I mean, this is, I mean, just rookie of the year, clearly um, superstar, all everything you want to say, how he plays, how he runs, how he controls. I was watching that whole game. And I'll tell you what, I thought Baker played great. Baker Mayfield played fantastic. I thought Tampa played really well, but Stroud was just as becoming this elite player and it's just his rookie year. And DeMarco Ryan's. I mean, Houston's four and four, and I they have a chance to make the playoffs. I mean, they're this is a great turn from a team. Houston for the last two years has been one of the worst teams you could ever imagine to play what they're playing now. It's pretty shocking. But I saw them where I was in Pittsburgh when I when they beat the Steelers, and I said, Boy, this team is loaded. The fan base that's the you know playing in Houston's hard place to play. So that's happens. Ira, if you were in a, a you know a, a cryogenic coma or something for the first two months of the season, and you just sat down yesterday to watch these games, you'd be looking around like Who's this quarterback? Who is this? I've never heard of this quarterback before. It's kind of a mess. And one of those was uh, Tyson Badgett for, for the uh, Chicago Bears. 
Saints let these these guys hang around. The Saints are just not a good team. They need to be better than, than what they are, but still got the win. But you know, I'll give credit for the Saints though. You know, they put they're now utilizing Taysom Hill. So the fact is that Tara Carr, Taysom Hill was sort of like the jail and hurts in terms of they can bring Taysom Hill to run, to, to put do all those other things, the tush push, all those things. And they had got away from that. And I mean it could have been injuries or whatever, but I think that helps. But clearly, what a mess. I mean, you look at from I, I said this, I put QB situations with this game and other games. It's like these backup quarterbacks in the league, you can see why it's so important to keep your quarterback healthy and otherwise it's a complete disaster because the games are so sloppy and so messy. Josh Dobbs got traded to the Minnesota Vikings. They didn't think he was going to play and he ended up coming in there and doing what he had to do to win. Josh Dobbs didn't even know for the Vikings. Remember, but Dobbs was, you know, the question for the Steelers is, you know, he was on the Steelers and they chose Mason Rudolph over him. There's a question, why would they have kept Josh Dobbs on the Steelers because the way he looked, I mean, he's bounced around from Jacksonville to Cleveland to, then he was an Arizona quarterback. He He was sort of eight games for Arizona they traded he him was like the Vikings. tank quarterback. We're he bringing just, this guy in to lose. He didn't even know the playbook, even though he is like an aerospace engineer, very smart, it's huge and tough. Goes in, doesn't even know the players, doesn't know anything, but able to walk into the game when Jalen Hall gets injured because, of course, Kirk Cousins out and then leads the Vikings to a victory. And again, the Vikings with the team where like they're hanging in, they're hanging, they're going to get Jefferson back. So, but boy, big win for Josh Dobbs. But again, it's just this whole idea where they, you know, where Atlanta has, you know, Tyler Henneke as quarterback because Ritter is not good. These teams without quarterbacks. And I think next year, Year, you're going to see now six quarterbacks taking the first round because these teams are desperate for quarterbacks because the quarterback play is so poor. And it's going to be a good quarterback draft. Yeah. We'll talk about the Giants in a minute and their promises going forward at the QB position. But Brett Rippon got the start for the Rams as Matthew Stafford couldn't go. And this one was pretty ugly. Yeah, I mean, this was a terrible game. Jordan Love beat Brett. I mean, the Rams are three and six. Total disaster. Rippon is just awful. And it was just a mess. I mean, but Jordan Love didn't even play well. But these are teams like three and five, three and six. Again, quarterback play was awful watching these games. Jordan Love is just certain, certainly has a lot, you know, when you compare Love to Stroud. But again, there's so many of these games where these teams are playing with these quarterbacks and below average quarterbacks and didn't play so well. And that's when people say, let's get rid of Dak Prescott. For who? For yeah. what? I mean, it's, there's a, there's a, clearly there's a, there's a gap. Raiders fire their coach, Josh McDaniel, and the GM. Uh, promote Antonio Pierce, former Giants uh, linebacker, great from linebacker coach to head coach. And they got to play the Giants. And that's kind of like a buy these days. Daniel Jones' season's done. Maybe his career in New York is done. But... And can I hand it to the Raiders? They look good. They were celebrating it up after this one. Josh McDaniels was so hated on this team. You know, you see this sometimes when you fire a coach and then the team just rallies around Antonio Pierce. They did. They really hated McDaniels. And McDaniels, I mean, this whole thing, McDaniels, someone said, McDaniels should never left the Patriots. They, they, their offense fell apart when he left. He should stay as the offense quarter of the Patriots. Have him bring him back right now. Like, get I'm rid sure of Bill O'Brien. Bring yeah. McDaniels back. He's doing nothing. Have him go back and, and do that because it, they really, he's clearly, he failed miserably at Denver. He failed miserably here. I mean, he's been fired in the middle of the season out twice. He's done. His career's over and is a head coach. But again, Aiden O'Connell and then the Giants, you know, are left with Daniel Jones gets injured. It looks like he tore his ACL. I mean, he just came back from a neck injury. Uh, this is a disaster for the Giants. They, they're, they, uh, Taylor is out for the rest of the year. They bring in Tommy DeVito. Uh, this is um, the Giants. And I told you I was in the Hamptons this weekend, this summer. Everyone's going, we're so positive. We're so positive. We have so much energy for the New York Giants. They are a disaster. And to think where they were, where people thought they were, it's Giants fans must be so super sad. Uh, I'm not sure what to make of Sam Howell, but I love even, him. he puts up stats. I mean, if you, if you're a fantasy guy and you have a bye week and you have to throw Sam Howell in there, it's not the worst thing in the world. This guy puts up numbers. And he outdueled Mac Jones, Washington wins. And I, I love I like Washington a lot. I've always liked Sam Howell in North Carolina. I think he's, I think he has a lot of, a lot of Patrick Mahomes in him in terms of being able to make plays and throw stuff around. So I've been a big Sam Howell fan for a long time. And I'm just glad that I'm glad Washington's sticking with him for this year and like let him grow because he, so this was good, but no, but, and then New England, two and seven, a disaster. Get Josh McDaniels back there. Chargers and Jets tonight. Chargers giving a pretty good amount of points to the Jets, but probably rightfully so. I don't know how this game's going to go because I never know what I'm getting from the Chargers. But the Jets, this is a team that might slide into the playoffs if they win games like this. I, I'm telling you, I just can't see the Chargers lose. I don't care if Brandon Staley's the worst coach in the world. They're going to beat the Jets. Justin Herbert cannot. When you look at the quarterback play and then you look at Justin Herbert, there's no way this can, can continue. He's going against Zach Wilson. I really think now the Chargers have tons of injuries, but I still think the Chargers win 
in this game. I take the you give the points and a minus one four and a half. What's coming up the, this week? I just like the Thursday night football. If there's ever a game not to watch full game, it's the Panthers are one and seven at the Bears two and seven. This is like when you say, "Honey, I'm not gonna go." You know, I'm gonna go out on a date night. I want to. Eat. There's one full <laughs> game you do not have to watch. It's on Amazon Prime. The Panthers at the Bears one and seven two and seven. But next year, next week, Texans at Bengals, which should be an intriguing game. I'm excited about that. I'll be at the Packers Steelers game. I think the game of the week is the 49ers at the Jaguars. The Jaguars are favored by three. Can you imagine that? You know how the year started out and it'll be in Jacksonville. Huge game for them. Browns at Ravens. That's another big game in terms of the defensive, how they're going to play. Just a game I'll throw out there. Giants at Cowboys. Can you believe the Cowboys are a 16-point favorite over the New York Giants? That is crazy. A 16-point favorite on that. So, And the next Sunday night's Jets at Raiders. So that'll be, that'll be fun. Going over to college football, this is Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel, Mike Balsamo here as well. Five undefeated teams left to go, Ira, and there's only four spots in the playoffs, so things are getting a little dicey here. Well, there's five undefeated teams, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, and Washington, and then there's five seven and one teams. I'm taking not giving Louisville credit for this. Um, Oregon, Texas, Bama, Mississippi, and Penn State. Uh, two teams were eliminated this weekend. Missouri and Oklahoma lost, so they're out with two losses. And I think next week is going to be, we're going to talk about this week, but next week is going to be so intriguing because there's one really close game, the Michigan-Penn State head-to-head where they're going against each other. That'll be great. And then there's one that really is not close at all. Ohio State is at playing Michigan State where they're favored by 30. Penn State's favored by five and a half over Penn State. It's at Penn State. But everything else, these other games are like nine to 15 point spreads. So you have teams like Bama's favored by 11 over Kentucky. Florida State, 15 over Miami. Washington, nine over Utah. Oregon, 15 over USC. Georgia, 12 over Mississippi. Texas, 10 over TCU. You're looking at that to say, mm, they're nine 15 point spreads. But all these underdogs can come back and pull those upsets. So that's why I think this is a really intriguing week. And, you know, it comes down to there's five, you know, like five conferences for four spots. And even though I don't think Florida State's playing that great, Florida State's, if they stand defeated, is going to be in that. And they're going to be one of those one of those teams that are going to be in there. Maybe Texas would be the one conference with the loss, even if they win. Say Georgia beats Alabama, Texas would be the one conference team out, even if they beat, you know, whoever they beat in the Big 12 championship. Talk about some of these games. Alabama taking on LSU is really the story of Jaden Daniels versus Jalen Milrow. And this was a game where in the first half, it looked like, all right, you know, we got ourselves a game here. Second half, LSU really didn't have any answers for Alabama. This was a tremendous game. Bama's now won 16 straight home SEC wins. The last loss was 2019 against Joe Burrow. I was at that game against the, one of the best LSU teams I've ever seen. Remember, Bama lost to Texas earlier in the year. And uh, now with this win, Bama, they beat LSU 42-28 with a win. They now either have to beat Kentucky or Auburn, and they're in the SEC title game against Georgia. And, uh, you know, it's one of those games where it was like, you know, it was like first one to miss is not going to get it because LSU doesn't get a first, you know, goes on fourth down, doesn't get it. LSU Avalanche is up 14-7. Both teams missed field goals. But then they go to halftime. It's 21-21. They, no team had a, had a punt. Uh, they each had three touchdowns and missed a field goal. So it was even. Um, and it was like, when you look at the stats, Daniels was 10 for 16, 164 yards, two touchdowns, and ran for 137 yards. And Milrow had the exact same statistics, 8 for 10, 165 yards. And he also ran for 100 yards in the first half. Milrow's coming on. And it was like the yardage. They had a combined 600 yards between the two teams. But then each team in the second half, they scored a touchdown. There was, a, again, no punts. But finally, LSU was stopped in punts. Bama scored a touchdown. And then Daniels threw an interception, leaving a short field. Bama scored a touchdown, made it 42-28. And then Daniels was rushed, roughed on the panel. It was, a, it was a definitely a clear roughing passer. Knocked out of the game. I, it was one of the weirdest things. It was like a two situation. He came out of the game, then came back in, and I'm like, I don't think he's walking straight. And he planned, ran one play. They got so confused, and then they finally took him out. And their question from Brian Kelly is, anybody could watch that scene that he was not ready to go back in the game, and then he was held out, and then LSU held, you know, at, then it was 42-28. They don't do anything the rest of the, that half. But I question why Daniels came back in the game. I mean, he was walking around. It wasn't like he was at the end of the game, but I question how they let him back come back in for that one play. But Milrow, huge performance. This is someone who was questioned, you know, he was like in a competition. He was benched early in this year, but to have a game like this against LSU at home, huge, huge win for them. They had five, between the two teams, almost a thousand yards between the two of them, but big win for Alabama. Now they just need one more win and they're in the SEC, but they don't just need one. They, they, they're in their mind, they're going to say they're going to win their next two, Auburn and Kentucky, and then they're going to play Georgia and then be in the college football playoff. Georgia is taking on Missouri, a battle of two ranked teams. Georgia gets the win here, but this is clearly not the Georgia teams of years past where they're just going to roll over everyone on their way to a national championship. They're going to have to, to 
play hard to win these games. And this was closer than I thought it'd be, 30 to 21. Right. You know, it was close, and it was last season. Georgia seems to have a problem with Missouri. Last season, you know, Georgia was favored by 14 and a half of this game. And I said, boy, you know, the line, you know, they won only one by nine. But last year, Georgia was down by 10. It was the toughest game of the year. They came back and won 26 22. Um, but Missouri was leading the second half, 13 10. And the game changed when Missouri threw an interception. Nazir Stackhouse, who I think is like 400 pounds, intercepted, almost ran into the end zone. Huge, you know, the quote that, uh, that Kirby Smart said, that he was told that he ran 17 or 18 miles an hour and Smart said no chance the only way he hits 18 miles an hour is on his bike or his car so but Carson Beck had another good game for Georgia 250 yards two touchdowns but I was concerned about the Georgia defense they gave up 363 yards I think the difference between this Georgia team and the last two national champion teams their defense just is not every single week at that high at that high level yeah their entire defense plays for the Philadelphia Eagles yes. now so harder for them to replicate Texas A&M taking on Ole Miss and this was another good one what a game. Back and forth. Now, Mississippi's problem is they lost Alabama. So that if they don't, if Alabama doesn't lose, then they have no chance to go. In the, they're going to be the one-loss team that's going to be sitting out. Now, they'll get to play in, in one of the, the major bowl games, but they're not going to get in the playoffs because of their lost Alabama and not getting the SEC title game. But Mississippi was up 14-0. I thought this game would be over, but they went and kicked to try to kick a field goal. It was blocked, returned for a touchdown, made it 14-7, and then was back and forth, back and forth. And uh, and that was like, really, A&M had a chance at the end of the game to win it. That was stopped. But AMM Jimbo Fisher, one of the highest played coaches in football, five and four now. Uh, just another disaster. AM fans are so furious with this team because, again, the expectations were so high, they never expected to go in this game at five and four. Florida taking on uh, Arkansas here, and this was one that Florida's uh, not going to be so happy about looking back on. No, I mean this. This is a mess for Florida. Again, they they were they they had a chance to win the game. They Arkansas kicks a field goal to tie with 44 seconds left. Florida goes down, has a 44 yard field goal for a field goal. They miss that field goal, and then uh, then in overtime they kick a field goal in overtime. But Arkansas scores a touchdown. But there's a first win in Arkansas in the swamp, um, and now Florida is five and four. Their final games are LSU, Missouri at Missouri, and Florida State. They might not even go to the bowl. And this is a team that again. Again, it's just Philly Napier's years. You're wondering when, when Florida's going to turn it around. They were favored in this game by three and a half. Uh, Arkansas came in the game only winning two games. But big win for Arkansas and a bad loss in the swamp for Florida. What's up for the SEC? Well, Bama is favored by 11 against Kentucky next week. That Mississippi plays Georgia. This is one of those games where Mississippi could beat Georgia. So this is going to be I mean, the average ticket price on the game is like $400 for this game. So it's huge. And then Florida's at LSU. LSU's favorite by 14. Going to the ACC, Florida State taking on Pitt. And this was one, you know, Florida State's expected to win this one. They did easily. But you could see a situation where they have to beat Miami to get into, or beat Florida to get into the, the playoff, and Florida coming to play. Spoiler, but congrats on a win anyway. I, you know, I watched that whole game. Pitt, Florida State played terrible. Now, they're missing their two-star, Keon Coleman and Wilson, their two-star wide receivers. But it was 0-0 after one. Pitt had an 81-yard touchdown pass for a touchdown, where it's one of those things where you're running in and fumble at the one-inch line that it gets a touchback. You know, one of those things where they, they could have been up, and then they score. They give up 14-0 in the game. Ended up being, you know, 10-7 halftime. Florida State ran away with it in the second half. Pitt was 0 for 11 on third down. Jordan Travis, another big game for him. Trey Benson, another almost nearly 100-yard game. And Florida State's now in the championship game for the first time. Can you believe this? In nine years, Florida State's in the ACC championship game. And they finish... This Miami game next week is huge because Miami is playing horrendous. But if there's ever a team that, you know, there's ever two teams where Miami could just go up to Tallahassee and win this game, it's this week in terms of what happens. And, uh, they, and they have to also have to play at Florida. So they have these rivalry games to finish the season. They play, as I said, Miami. They play at Florida and then the ACC championship game. And if they win all those, they're going to be in the college football playoff. Notre Dame taking on Clemson. And this is one that... Notre Dame's not going to be happy about the result of here. Clemson isn't what they used to be, but Dabo Sweeney obviously can put it together when he needs to. This is one of those games where Dabo said, this is where it stops, where it stops right now. I mean, he said at the end of the game after he won, he's like, if you're going to buy stock in Clemson, buy it now. He got under, under so much fire in the week. He was a talk show, and Tyler from Spartanburg called and said, we're paying you so much money, and this is not what we expect. And Clemson's like, well, you are ex your expectations are too high. I brought you all these wins, two national titles. We're working on stuff. And it was this whole battle between Tyler from Spartanburg, who I've loved to get on the show, which would be so cool. <laughs> but now he's the all, but it was one of those games where it was just like Clemson, you could see, they said, this is where we're going to make our final stand. And then I think Notre Dame who's had so many of these tough games, the Duke games, whatever, they're playing so many of the, the games against USC. It seems like every game Notre Dame has been in has been a big game. And I, I feel bad for Notre Dame. There's three losses, but they walked into a team in Death Valley at 12 o'clock at noon. But uh, but it's still at the end of the game. They had, they had their chance. It was 31, you know, coming in at the game where uh, Notre Dame had the ball with a chance to 
win. Jeremiah, Jeremiah Trotter for Clemson was a man possessed. I mean, water boy on defense, you know, certainly causing fumbles and playing sacks and everything. He played absolutely amazing. What I was referring to with Tyler from Spartansburg, Debo Swinney does a call-in radio show and lets these fans just call. Like, could you imagine the NFL? Could you imagine Bill Belichick doing a weekly radio <laughs> show be- and having fans call in to ask him questions and give him critiques? Like, it would never happen. But here's Debo but, taking you know, it from I the fans. The, the, the whole call was so great. The guy would call in and says, I think you're great. I think you're amazing. But this, this, this. I think you're great. I mean, he played it great. And it was on for like five, six minutes. Yeah. Like, we heard the one call where it's like, you know, where he finally were. But the, the host should have cut it off. Like, there's got to be a point where <laughs> we're paying you $11 million. Uh, <laughs> we're paying you're the highest paid coach. You think you should be a 500 coach and this and this and this and all of that. And that, but now it's like Tyler from Spartanburg. They, it's like motivating this team. So that's what I think is, is fantastic. University of Miami taking on NC State. And Ira, this is one. I feel like it's been a story of the last 15 years. Every time Miami takes a step forward, they take like three steps backwards. This might be 10 steps back. They lost to NC State 20 to 6. Um, it was, they were awful. And they just got, you know, again, the team goes to the red zone. They make the red zone and make mistakes. Tyler Van Dyke, who everyone thought was going to be this NFL quarterback, threw three interceptions. Now he's thrown zero touchdowns and five interceptions the last two games. You know, when Miami was 4 0, they're undefeated. Everybody's talking about Miami's back. I mean, everyone keeps talking about Miami getting back. I don't think they need to be get back. They need to get somewhere. Yeah. But this is not, I mean, they're not, forget about being in the national championship picture, just being competitive. And this is a bad loss for them. Uh, what's up next for the ACC? Just really the big game is the Miami and Florida State. But, you know, that game is, it's 15. Florida State by fair by 15. And it's to me, this is either going to be a war or it's going to be a complete blowout. Going to the Big Ten, Michigan taking on Purdue. And the score in the game didn't really matter here because all we're talking about is scandals. <laughs> well, I wrote scandal, scandal, scandal because it's 21 straight Big Ten games. Michigan's won with a school record. Um, McCart- J.J. McCartney played great, 330 yards. Quorum ran well. It was 41-6. Really, Michigan's defense is unbelievable. I mean, to understand, since the 2020 pandemic, Michigan's been 12-1 in 2021. They lost to Georgia. They were 13-0 last year, then lost to TCU. 9-0 this year. They're 34-1 in regular season games in three years, what Harbaugh has done. I'll tell you what, there's all these rumors that Harbaugh for the sign stealing. I, I don't understand it. When you go to the game, so you go to a game, you can look across the field, you see the the, the, the signs. So you, if you're going to steal signs, it's right then and there. They see the signs. So what does it care if, if a team is so stupid to use the same signs they use from other games? And it's not like that they went, Michigan went into somebody, you know, the secret where the practice facility was. It's at the game. There's 100,000 people <laughs> at the game. 50,000 people can still see the signs. And guess what? We don't need a camcorder. We have an iPhone. I have an iPhone 14 right now. I can videotape everything. Anybody can do it. To think these other teams, that everyone's sanctimonious, like, oh, this is so terrible. You don't think that people are calling up. Every one of these coaches saying, look, I went to the game. I was in Michigan. Everybody goes to games and say, these are the calls. This is whatever. I, I think it's to- this is totally ridiculously blown out of proportion. And if teams are so stupid that they don't mix their signs up, that's the dumbest thing in the world. Like, <laughs> if they're playing in front of 100,000 people, you've got to mix that. And then I hate when I'm at the game, I sit behind the visiting team at Penn State and they hold the high, the, the pictures or whatever. And as again, we talked about this last time, they could easily put the machine uh, in the helmets. You know, we saw the commercial with Gallaudet in terms of how yeah. they do with the videos. They actually put videos, they can put the symbols like they do in NFL. They choose not to because they all steal signs <laughs> and they're yelling at Harbaugh for stealing signs. I just, I can't stand this, this whole scandal. Either way, a big win for, for Michigan there. Ohio State taking on Rutgers. Nobody really gave Rutgers a chance and it, it ended up being pretty lopsided in Ohio State. It was lopsided, but I'll tell you what, it was at this point, it was a weird, I don't think Ohio State, they're only at 14-9 at halftime, uh, the 21-9, but Rutgers in the second half, you know, they hang in there. Ohio State, Ohio State did not look good in this game. Um, they start the fourth, the 21-16. Trayvon Henderson is a, is the difference for this team. Man, he runs the ball so well. He was 22 for 132 carries, 130 yards, a touchdown. He had 162 yards against uh, Wisconsin the week before. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., just four catches, 25 yards, two touchdowns. But really, I mean, this is where the the the, the key play was when Proctor, the defensive player for Ohio State, hit on uh, the Rutgers running backs, caused a fumble, and they ran it in. That was what made, you know, really change the down around. But McCord for Ohio State, their quarterback is just, when you look at these other quarterbacks, I don't think he's elite. Their defense is, if they just had C.J. Stroud, if C.J. Stroud would have stayed one more year, <laughs> this Ohio State team would be like one of the greatest college football teams of all time with Stroud and Harrison and Henderson and the defense they have. 
Penn State, your Nittany Lions taking on Maryland. Nice win there. Right. They won. And that was, you know, they go to Maryland. They're there. They won 51 14. Drew Aller looked actually good. Um, Tua's brother is the quarterback for Maryland. Actually, started the game 16 for 16. But the point is, Penn State finally looked good in a game, you know, like where they play and they, that it doesn't matter. But everything comes down to the Michigan game. Uh, Penn State is now, we're, we're next week, we're, you know, this coming up, we're five and a half point underdogs. Penn State is three, Franklin's three and six against Michigan. What a nine against Ohio State in ability to win big game after big game. But the whole narrative can be mixed. Like, I think Penn State can win this game. Do I think Penn State should win this game? No, the way how Michigan's been playing. But Penn State has the talented players. The question is, can James Franklin put the game frame, game plan in place? Can he motivate the team? And can they play well and win this game? Anything else you're watching in the Big Ten? Um, Ohio State, as we said, 30-point favorites on Michigan State. Big 12, Oklahoma taking on Oklahoma State. And this was uh, kind of a crazy finish here, but uh, Oklahoma State uh, got the win. Ugh. You know, it's a hun- I could not believe the statistic. Bedlam has played between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State 114 consecutive games. Do you realize only Michigan, Minnesota, and Wisconsin is 116 is two games longer? But that's this is the second longest rivalry will end because Oklahoma is moving to the SEC. Oklahoma State staying in the Big 12. So there was so much enthusiasm. And considering the game is at it was Oklahoma State, this is a team Oklahoma State that lost to South Alabama earlier in the year, and it looked like their season was over. That's now seven and two. They Ollie Gordon, the star running back, came into the coach of Gundy's office and said, "Just give me." the ball. We're going to figure out to win. And he was totally right. It actually worked. He was a tremendous. Another 150 yards. He's the nation leading runner. But it was one of those games went back and forth, back and forth. And Oklahoma had the ball with two minutes left on their 20, but couldn't even cross midfield to win the game. Um, they stormed the field, tear down the goalposts, all those things. But uh, now Oklahoma, which was, you know, had the big win on Texas, now has lost two weeks in a row and now is out of the college football playoff picture. Speaking of Texas, took on Kansas State and this one was a close one. Oh, and it shouldn't have been. They're up 20. Texas is up 27 to 7. Now, remember, they don't quit Ewers. They have Malik Murphy. But it looked like one of these games was totally, it was over, it was done. But then Texas fumbles. K-State scored again. Uh, it was, it was you know, there was, Kent State had a punt block, made it. It was absolutely crazy how this landed. And then it was 27-27 because K- Kansas State missed an extra point. And then at one point, Kansas State had three touchdowns on four plays to bring back in the game. But Texas was able to get a field goal, make it 30-27. to Kansas State drove down. They missed a field goal. Then they drove down again and got the field goal. Then you go to overtime. Texas scores, you know, kicks a field goal. And Kansas State had the ball. You know, they, they play one of these things where it's fourth and four and they went for it. They didn't get it. Instead of kicking the field goal, go to the second overtime. And Texas is now, you know, still in position. They didn't look good to blow a lead like they had in that game, but uh, Texas still has one loss. What's uh, coming up next for the Big 12? And that's where their 10-point favorite against TCU, and they have to keep winning. Now, Oklahoma's out of the picture. Can Texas, can st- you know, they have played there, and they play Iowa State, Texas Tech, the Big 12 championship game. Can Texas stay in the picture? Moving over to the Pac-12, Ira, Washington taking on USC, and nobody wants to play defense in these games. This was just an offensive explosion. Well, and USC then fires their defensive coordinator after the game. Lincoln Riley, everyone said, is the genius of geniuses. You know, just like he had it with Oklahoma, you got to play. There's two sides of the ball. You have the Heisman Trophy defending, you know, winner who won it last year, Kyle Williams, number one pick in the draft, and this was a disaster. But it was exciting to watch. I mean, it was this point where it was, uh, it was, you know, where Washington had it for the game. Washington ended up with 572 yards, USC 5. 515, Washington had 256 yards passing and 316 yards rushing. This is the Washington team that hadn't really run the ball at all this whole year. And USC ended up with also 312 yards passing and 203 yards rushing. I mean, it was crazy. It was like matching touchdown, touchdown, touchdown the entire time. Nobody punted the ball. The punter could just stay out of the game. It was 28-20 at the end of the half. But the key was that Caleb Williams at the end of the half fumbled the ball with a minute to go. Washington gets the ball. They go up 35-28 and then and the Washington has the ball starting the second half. Penix throws an interception and then it was 35-35 but then Washington goes up 45-42-35 tied again 42-42 but then Washington gets a field goal and then USC two chances at the end of the game and they don't score. They stop scoring so it's like with a scoring explosion and weren't able to score and Washington you know, ends up winning 52-44 52-42. Huge win for Washington staying undefeated and just a bad another bad loss for USC who has to go on the road and play Oregon next week. I mean USC for a team that again was one of the favorites to win the, na- the national championship this year. What just did no defense has cost them? They gave a 50 points to California. They've seen them against the Notre Dame. They just their defense has totally collapsed on them. Speaking of no defense, Oregon played uh, Cal and racked up 63 points. I love how Oregon. I mean, 
right now, Oregon might be playing the best of anyone in the country with Michigan. Bo Nix, 29 for 38, 400, almost 400 yards, four touchdowns, uh, destroying California. And now they have this big win against, uh, you know, big game against USC next week. Colorado takes on Oregon State. And we might, for all the talk of Colorado, they might not make a bowl game at this point. Colorado beat TCU in Nebraska and Colorado State in overtime. And they were the number one team everyone's talking about. And then they get killed by Oregon. The USC game was weird for them because they were getting blown out of the game. They came back. And I think that something set them, that messed up both teams. Their comeback against USC made them think they maybe they're better than they were. The USC's letting them back in the game hurt USC. Then they barely beat Arizona State, but then now losing to Stanford, UCLA, and Oregon State. Um, they replaced, uh, Dion replaced, uh, primetime replaced his offense coordinator before the game. It didn't really work. Um, just, it was 7-3 at the end of the first half. Colorado messed the field goal. Sanders, their quarterback, made a terrible, terrible mistake, made it 14-3, and they were out of the whole game. I mean, I stayed up till 2 and watched this game, and it's like, <laughs> one of these teams where, you know, Colorado, people, like, they're 4-5 and five and they've now lost these all these games, and they, they again, they have a tough schedule the rest of the way. They're, they're, they're Arizona at Washington State and at Utah, they might, they need to win two of those three to make the bowls. And what's next for the Pac-12? Well, really, the games next week is Utah at Washington, Washington's favorite by nine, and then USC plays at Oregon, Oregon's favorite at 14 and a half. So, some of the, you know, every, as I said when I started this out, there are big games next week, and they're like the nine to 15 point, you know, mark in terms of the favorites, and I'm waiting, you gotta think there's gonna be some big upsets next week. Take Oregon, lay the points in that one. Let's wrap it up here with some racing, Ira. What's happening in Formula One? Well, the race in Brazil, Verstappen won. He's now won 17 races in 20 times. Lando Norris was second. And uh, for and the exciting part of the race is Fernando Alonso passes Sergio Perez, Verstappen's teammate. They were racing like the final like four laps. You usually don't get that racing like that. It was amazing. They call it the master class in racing at the end. Uh, Lewis Hamilton finished eighth. This is his 52nd victory for Verstappen, and he's it's fourth all time. There's only they have to take one week off. They go to Vegas, and then they go to Abu Dhabi. Verstappen, of course, has won this like three weeks ago or three races ago. He won the title, but uh, it was it was an exciting race just from the fact that you had. And then, but next week, I mean, next in two weeks in Vegas, the race starts at one a.m. It starts at ten o'clock at Vegas time, one a.m. on East Coast time. So it'll be hard to watch. And what about NASCAR? Ross Chastain wins the championship in Phoenix. They had four drivers: Kyle Larson, who was one of the other drivers. He finished his third. I mean, actually, I mean, Ross Chastain wins the race. Ryan Blaney won the title. It's one of those things where you win the title, win the race. Blaney wins the title, finishing second, Larson finished third, and William Bryan finished fourth. Uh, anything happen in tennis? Djokovic won the Paris Masters, and I just wanted to mention that Jakob Sinner defaulted because this match ended late, and he had to play the next day, and he didn't want to play because he didn't give him enough sleep. And this is a Masters 1000 event, and you're getting paid millions of dollars a year. I've never, not he was injured, not whatever. He said he couldn't get enough sleep, so he defaults and doesn't play the next match. Pretty crazy from Sinner, a player who I really like, but I don't think that you know Djokovic, Nadal, Federer would ever pull a stunt like a that. A lot of these tennis players are a little bit of head cases, it seems crazy. like. Uh, we have to wrap it up. Lost a great one, great coach, um, kind of the face of college basketball for a long time. Bobby Knight passed away. Clearly, I mean, he's won three national championships. He's the only coach, sort of like Don Shula, to have an undefeated season. Um, very controversial. It just just complicated. We can't even cover it. Maybe we'll bring Jay Billis back in to talk more about another time, but his passing. And then at, at Indiana and at Texas Tech. And one other thing that came in, now we're going to talk about this a little bit. The NCAA is an expert at losing. They're the best, you know, they're one of the worst <laughs> teams. They lost a case where people, it's one thing to get the NIL forward-looking, but some now athletes have gone back forward and said, hey, by the way, you didn't let us get NIL money when we were playing. Well, this could be billions of dollars that they, people they, they denied. So this could actually end the NCAA if this goes up the you know the court cases. But it was a bad loss, and it's one of those things we're going to keep our eye on about what would happen. What are you up to this week? Penn State, Michigan on Saturday, and Steelers, Packers at Heinz Field or at Cridger Stadium on Sunday. Tom Grieve, thank you so much for coming by. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.